Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about wrestling with imposter syndrome. Uh, I can't wait to talk about this one. <laughs> so I, we both had the same experience, uh, which is that after we recorded the Seth Godin interview for episode 100, the biggest uh, feedback I got topic-wise was the bit where we talked about imposter syndrome on the episode. That seemed to be the piece that really, I mean, there were, I, in my opinion, there were tons of knowledge bombs in that episode, but that was the one that everyone was like, <gasps> like breathtaking insight. So to, to, I guess, quickly summarize the point, it was kind of like, well, if you're doing important work, which to Seth Godin is like doing something to bend your little piece of the culture, you know, to change things, then you're working without a rule book. It's something no one's ever done. So of course you're making it up. So of course you feel like an imposter because you're a good person and you have to go out and make these bold claims and like lead people, but you don't have a map. You just see the destination, but you don't have a map. So you're kind of like, come on, everybody. I'm not sure how we're going to get there, but I know we need to get over there. It's like a leadership thing. It's like a fear of like fear of the unknown and like this could fail. It also ties into a conversation we had uh, on the show about the difference between the comfort zone and the security zone. So today we kind of wanted to drill into that a little bit more deeply because obviously people are, are wrestling with it. Especially if you're involved in a transformation in your own business or your own work. By definition, a transformation is you're breaking out, you're, you're going through the wall or going over the wall. And so I think it's only natural to be feeling this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're you're trying to create a new status quo for your business. You're not just maintaining the existing status quo. You're trying to push outside and do something new in a, in a in a call it. I mean, in the world, like in a world that seems to be changing ever more quickly, staying the same as you were ten years ago, even two years ago, is it might feel safe. But really, it's just comfortable and, in fact, isn't safe at all because not changing in a situation that's changing like crazy is actually really risky. If you want a visual, it's like, you know, you're standing in a, in a river and, like, everything's zooming past you. If you just stand there and you, like, maintain the status quo of your business, everything's, like, zooming ahead. And, you, you know, you need to keep up with it. In fact, maybe try to get ahead of it. If you're thinking big and you want to grow your business or you want to have a bigger impact, I always say, if you want things to be better, you have to change something. It's not just going to magically get Duh. better. Yeah. I, I talk to a lot of people, maybe on the younger side in, in general, who's, who are like, oh, I want better clients, but they don't want to change anything. Like I'll say, okay, change this headline on your website. And like, oh, I couldn't do that. Or, okay, um, maybe start reaching out to people on LinkedIn. Oh, I couldn't do that. It's like, well, if you're not going to change anything, nothing's going to change. My favorite thing about this is to use it like a compass, kind of like, kind of like when you start to get that feeling, it's probably a good sign because it means you're trying to do something outside of your comfort zone. And that's probably a safer thing to do than staying inside your comfort zone. And if you, if you step back and look at the fear that you might have that's sort of cropping up, it's really odds are very high that it's not actual risk. It's not actually dangerous. There's really almost nothing on the line. And your brain will invent all of these scenarios that, you know, basically worry. It's almost a fight or flight response. Right. But to nothing, like to, to next to nothing, it's like no physical risk, 
no, basically no financial risk. Like maybe it's a possible ego risk or it's almost a, I think, oh, I, usually, think I think it's an ego risk yeah. and, and we all fall prey to this, but th- that's what it is. I'm thinking about literally six conversations I've had in the last two weeks about this. And it's, it's all people who are putting themselves out there in a different way. And the hardest thing for them was to put something in public. And that public could be social media. And one person was talking about starting a social media campaign to push out some new knowledge. And this person specifically said, oh, I'm procrastinating. I I don't want to do this on one level. I know I have to, but I, I I'm, don't know if I'm ready for the criticism. It's just human, but you got, you got to, you got to push through it. That's why I love Seth's comments so much. It, it's like, he's not saying, oh, you have to jump through this big wall. He's like, well, of course you feel that way. So push it aside and keep going. <laughs> right. I mean, that was right. the genius of it. I loved yeah. it. It might be a subset or it's like a particular instantiation of the resistance that Stephen Pressfield talks about. You know, the resistance is kind of this idea that your lizard brain will do absolutely anything, totally irrational stuff to try to prevent you from doing something that it perceives as risky. And if this, even, even if that risk, as we're talking about, is really to your current identity or your view of yourself, all these ego-based things, if that feels threatened, then it's going to throw up all of these barriers that you just can't. It's, like, it's almost like there's a monster inside of you that's like, oh, you don't want to do that right now. You just want to watch YouTube for a few minutes or <laughs> this isn't going to work or you're not good enough or they're all going to laugh at you or your spouse is going to think this is silly or your business partner is going to say no. And you imagine all these things that, I, I mean, maybe could happen. And if they did, what's the big deal? But they probably won't even happen. It's usually your brain just messing with you and preventing you from doing something that's important, let's say, you know, something that's breaking new ground for the people in your audience or for the people you're trying to help or to to have an impact. And after reading, which one did I read? I didn't read The War of Art. I read Do the Work, uh, sort of a shorter version of, of Press Oh, you, you haven't read The War of Art? It, Do the Work is a shorter version of it. It's like the audiobook version of it. It's amazing. And it, it's actually narrated by Stephen Pressfield. It's fabulous. No, he's wonderful. I love basically anything he writes, I'll read. Right. And so I kind of see imposter syndrome as just one variation on all of those things that the lizard brain will try to do to get you to not do anything. Um, Yeah, it's a form form of resistance. You know, it's your brain saying no. Mm Mm-hmm. So you, the cool thing is, I, I don't remember where if I got this from Pressfield or Godin, but you can use it like a compass to tell like, oh, this, like when I feel it, it doesn't, like I don't not feel it, but when I feel it, I use it as encouragement. Like, okay, this is probably the right thing to do, or this is a right thing to do. And it's kind of like, you can just choose to, choose to interpret the sensation differently. Yes. That's exactly right. It, and that's, we're talking about transformation, but that is, it's, there's a way to internalize it and spit it out as something different. And it, it changes everything when you do that. It's like a hard pivot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I, uh, years and years ago when I first started getting on stage to do music stuff. And then later when I would do, you know, speaking engagements, you know, I'd speak to a thousand people 
and you, you climb up there and you're always going to get the, that butterfly feeling. But again, years ago, I decided to stop viewing that as me being nervous and instead view it as me being excited. Like, oh, I'm excited to do this. If you do that, it takes away the self judgment of like, uh, instead of like, if you think, oh, I'm nervous, then you immediately start imagining every way that you could possibly screw up. And then you'll probably do one of them because you're picturing it. But if you're excited and you're like, oh, this is, I'm so glad to be, this is like so good that I'm like, I'm like jacked up. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be cool. Like, this is going to be fun. I'm like, I'm so glad this situation is, has come together, you know, whether someone pulled me into it or I pushed to get into it or whatever it was like, this is, this is a great opportunity to change, you know, help the people in the audience make some change that I think that uh, they might want to make. So it, it just a mental, just mentally shifted from like, oh, this isn't fear, it's excitement. Well, what was striking me as you were talking is we did a whole episode on the authority mindset. I mean, I could argue that this is part of the authority mindset is being able to make that mental shift because otherwise it's harder to break through with your ideas and your content if you're holding back. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's like your audience deserves it. I mean, they deserve the best of you. And, you know, every once in a while, somebody's not going to like it or you're going to be wrong. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I that, don't like being wrong either, but you know what? It happens. Pretty much every day I'm wrong about something. If you're, if you're not making some mistakes and like going a little bit off track, then you're probably not trying that hard. You know, just doing like, um, stuff where there is a rule book, even if it's a rule book you created. And I've certainly, you know, my business has certainly suffered maybe in like in the 2012, 2013 area when I was just completely resting on my laurels, not trying anything new, thinking I was standing in the river and I was like, oh, this is great. Like this. And then the, you know, and then everybody was like downstream and I'm like, Hey, where'd everybody go? <laughs> Can you think of something you've done that is an example you know, they gave you this sort of feeling, whether it was the resistance or imposter syndrome or and how you got through it or what? Oh, God, I've had a whole bunch of them. I, I had one just last week. S somebody gave me a piece of very thoughtful, constructive criticism. And I have to say, I loved it and I hated it. I loved it because it was given really thoughtfully and really well. And I hated it because it was right. You know? <laughs> and what I found, though, is that it impacted how I was looking at writing my daily emails. And there was a brief moment where I went, who am I to be writing about authority every day? Who am I to do that? And then I took the feedback this person had given me and I, I just channeled it immediately. And this thing happened in my brain. It was, it was literally almost like a, like a rewiring where I went, I'm going to use this as fuel because that feedback is correct. And I have something to say, and I'm not going to stop saying it. And the funny thing was, I actually sat down, I think I wrote like three or four different pieces of content while I was in that, in that mode. It's that, that something about that switch flipping um, allowed me to internalize it and then immediately take action. I mean, you're saying it, but I just want to call it out. Like there was a point where you decided. Yes. Right. So very no, consciously, because otherwise I would have been thinking about it. I would have soaked on it some more. I would have let 
I would have let it bug me. I'd probably go have a chocolate bar. <laughs> but it was just that, oh. It, and I think it would have been harder if it had been a troll because I probably could have just said, oh, who cares? But this was someone who really thought about this to give me this feedback. And so, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to use this as fuel. This isn't to be embarrassed by. This is a learning experience. This is fuel and I'm going to use it. Yeah. And you, and someone in the same situation could have gone even farther in the other direction of just like shrank back or been like, uh, or fought the person and dug their heels in. It's just like it not, not admitted that they were right, so to speak. Or, you know, like if it was a troll and just be like, whatever, you're a troll and then kind right. of miss out on whatever the growth was, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's that moment. And years ago, there was one other sort of weird moment. I was, I was on salary in those days. I was working for a big consulting firm, wasn't a partner yet, wanted to be. And I spent this year, I'd made this decision that I wanted to build client relationships for the long term. I don't know why I did. I just, it's just seemed right. And I had a mentor who I watched and he did it so effortlessly. And I was like, I want to be like that. That's how I want to treat my clients. That's what I want. And so I went through this process where my business, when I say my business, they call it your book of business inside the consulting firm. It didn't grow. It kind of flatlined for the year. And that's bad. And when I say bad, it means like my bonus sucked. And bonus was a big part of the pay there. But I did it very intentionally, knowing my pay was probably going to suffer, hoping I wouldn't get fired. But the next year, it paid off. And the year after that, it paid off. And I made partner in record time because of those relationships, because of that year. And I can still remember somebody, I don't remember if it was my boss or somebody who ran the office, somebody said to me, "Uh, you can't do this. Like you, you can't just not grow your book. And I said, Oh, it will grow because I'm, I'm nurturing these relationships and whether it comes from that company or a company that they move to or somebody they refer me to, I know this is the right thing to do. And boom, I didn't worry about it again. I didn't like it when bonus time came though. I must say <laughs> that really sucked. <laughs> that mm-hmm. really sucked. But um, yeah, but it was the right investment and I didn't let anybody talk me out of it. And plenty of people tried. Yeah. So you, I love this because you had a vision and a clear objective and then you came up with a strategy to do it and you stuck with it and it paid off. It sounds obvious when you lay it out like that, but so many people don't do that. They'll, they'll have a piece of it. Like they'll have an objective and it's a very me focused objective like, I want 10,000 people on my mailing list, or I want to have, uh, I want to be making, you know, a quarter of a million dollars a year in my jammies, or, you know, they have all these like sort of self-focused things. And it's like, okay, well, what's the plan? Like, what are you going to do to get that? What are you going to, what are you going to deliver to the world? That's going to give you that kind of a reward and think about the outside. And so it's cool because you even said it, you're like, you weren't even sure why, but you just knew that you wanted to treat your clients like that. And you had an example of someone who, who kind of knew how to do, or at least appeared to be doing what you wanted. And you're like, okay, I'm going to come up with a strategy to do that, to, to reach that objective. Yeah, that's great. And that, to me, that's not unlike what our listeners are doing, right? Because you've got an, you've got an area of expertise and you're serving clients in some way. And so what is that that you want to keep pushing what is it that is going to make that difference in the work that you do for them? 
Imagine if people are feeling this imposter syndrome, instead of deciding to embrace it, they, you know, and go forward anyway, they're shrinking back from it and not, and what does that lead to? I think it's safe to say that that leads to small thinking. Instead of swinging for the fence, you're just bunting all the time and, or not even swinging really. Yeah. It feels so sad when you were saying that. I just, I I feel bad for those people. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so the, the, the thing isn't to wait until the imposter syndrome is not there. The thing is to be like, there it is. That's a good sign. And think, and if you're not feeling it at all, then try thinking bigger and see if it shows up. You know, and when I say thinking bigger, I mean having a bigger impact. So like, mine's the one I think of because it's obvious to me, which is like, I want to rid the world of hourly Valley. Okay. Like that's pretty ridiculously huge. It's like, okay, I've got a vision for this. It probably won't happen in my lifetime, but maybe I can start some kind of movement or something, or at least, you know, a little dent in it so that people start to be like, what's hourly billing? Or like, why would anyone do that? Or, you know, who knows? Who knows what'll happen? But it gives me, um, it gives me direction. And when I, uh, when I'm deciding things, you know, like, oh, should I do this or should I do that? Then it gives me like a litmus test to decide which things to do. And we've talked about this on the show before where I've said like, when I first launched the pricing seminar, I was like, I was like, thinking about whether or not to do it or how the pricing should work and how many people I needed for it to make sense. And every time I came up with a, with a, Hmm, should I do this or that? And I'd be stuck on it for a little while. I would always be able to resolve that by saying, well, what's better for the students? What would be better for the students? And then I would always be like, Oh, I have to do, I have, it's obvious. The choice is this. Maybe that would make me as much money in the short term, like, you know, your bonus situation, but it's the right thing to do. And based on some goal. So if I'm just thinking about like lining my pockets, then a lot of the decisions are like, well, I don't know, I could price it really high and sell a few seats, or I could price it really low and sell a ton of seats. And like, which way is going to make me more money, make me more money, make me more money. And it's totally not about that. It's like the money will be a side effect if you do a good job with the first thing. So if the first thing is, how am I going to have the maximum impact from this? Then the money is just going to show up. Like the mission will get funded if people are like, you know, minds blown, like actually transformed. The point of all that is I did get imposter syndrome when I was launching my first online seminar, when I just launched the, the ditching hourly workshop, I was like, well, I've never done this before. (laughs) (laughs) I've done things like it, but I've never organized one. Like I've given workshops a million times, but I've never organized one and like had to, you know, like the people are coming to town and like they have to, all these, all these things or all these things. I'm like, oh, it's easy to be like, Especially when it's in person, there are all these ways it could go horribly wrong or feel, <laughs> feel like it goes horribly wrong. And there's no like, there's no easy undo like, oh, I'll just send you the PDF. If something screws up when somebody goes to buy my book and they can't watch one of the videos that comes with it, I can just fix it. But I can't just fix it if somebody like, uh, if I send out the wrong dates and somebody shows up at my office like on the wrong day. There's just like a lot, a lot more. Uh, it felt like there was a lot more potential for things to go wrong in a way that I couldn't fix them, which was a bummer. <laughs> mm-hmm. But but guess what happened? It was fine. It was fine. It was it was really better than fine. But uh, none of that, none of this stuff I worried about happened. Some other stuff that I didn't worry about happened, <laughs> and it was still fine. That's but, always uh, how it works in a live event, right? Yeah, there's always surprises. 
I get that feeling. And, and so I was like, no, I know I'm sure I'm doing something that maybe not the only right thing to do, but I'm doing something outside of my comfort zone, which makes the sort of more, more, uh, non-lizard brain part of my brain say like, okay, I'm probably, I'm probably going in the right direction. This is probably smart because you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what we're saying. I don't know if we've said it directly, but it's that part of this this game of running a solo business where you're serving clients is feeling that imposter syndrome is taking some risk so that you're you're outside of that of that comfort zone. And it won't always be right. You'll make mistakes. Hopefully they won't be huge, irrecoverable ones. Chances are they won't be. You just have to put that aside and then pivot. I mean, I, what, what do you think? Is, is that what we're saying? That, that there's, there's a certain amount of imposter syndrome that you want to feel? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I use the resistance as a compass. Like, I'm like, oh, that, this is scary. Well, then do it. Like that's, <laughs> if, if nothing you're doing is scary, that makes me nervous. I mean, that's what coaching is so great. Like if, because people put, someone will push you and they aren't feeling the resistance and they, from the outside, they can say like, look, this is obvious. You should obviously do this. And it's really not risky if you just think about it. But then the person is like squirming and it's like, you can do this. There's a message in the squirm. (laughs) Maybe that should have been the title. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think there's another thing that happens when you have some kind of an obstacle and you overcome it is it builds your confidence. So if you're feeling that and then you pivot, then there's this energy that comes from feeling confident. And that's really powerful. And then it'll take you a while till you get another taste of imposter syndrome. But it, it's when you overcome that, the confidence that it gives you, you just, it, you can't measure it, but the impact, the psychological impact of it is huge. That's a good point. It probably gets easier over time because you start to recognize it and see it and just interpret it as a good thing instead of interpreting it as a bad thing. It's still there. And you still have to decide to interpret it as a good thing. And sometimes it doesn't happen instantaneously with me, even though I'm like 100% conscious of it. Still, sometimes it'll sneak in there and be like, why am I like blocking here? Why am I like procrastinating on this thing that I, I want to do? I know it'll be good. Like what's holding me back here? So, but I do think as it's like a muscle that you develop it because it doesn't feel it's a smaller thing, but I notice it just as much, but it's not like this overwhelming thing to me at this point where, oh, you know what? I think, I think sending an email every day helps. I know I always like everything comes back to like (laughs) daily emails with me, but I think shipping something every day is like helpful. But I, when you were talking, the word that hit me was habits. That's what a daily email is, right? It's a habit. And then it's that habit of pushing against that the feeling of imposter syndrome. Slight diversion. So I've gone back on my, I call it my nutrition plan. I never use the word diet because it has dye in it. Um, <laughs> so I've gone back to my nutrition plan. And the big thing with it is, and this is just how I have to get things in, wired into my routine, is I, I use an app. 
And I've given the app permission to say, ding, 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 you haven't put your lunch in yet. And all I do is I allow that app to rule my discipline. And it took a week. I know it says three weeks for a habit. For me, it took a week probably because I've done it before and I had a lot of the stuff already wired in there. But within a week, I'm on track. I'm following that thing and I am not going to go off the rails just because it's it's a habit. But anyway, my point is, is that I feel in that week, I could feel that confidence from sticking to the habit. And it's not exactly like a streak that you've talked about, but it's just this, it's more like, I can do that. I can do that. Well, I'm pretty badass. I did that for a week. (laughs) There's that psychological piece of it that I think is really empowering. Yeah. It's like, I'm in control of my life. I'm in control of things that I can control. The things I can't control, okay, okay, sure. Like I'm not in control of those, but it's a thing that you can control, and then it gives you this this confidence. It is hard to describe, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. and and to come back to your point about the daily emails, I think there's something in that too, because when you do daily emails or daily videos or daily audio, whatever your thing is, it forces you to put yourself out there every single day. It becomes a habit. It's almost like this diffusion of the imposter syndrome. It's like so spread out. It's more than just imposter syndrome, but that's that. I would say that that was something that would bite me more earlier on. But now, it's, now the daily email for me is like it's a status quo thing, and it's not. I don't get it at all anymore because I've gotten so much positive feedback that I'm like, okay, there's. It's just like it is quiet. It's become normal. It's like my normal. So I'm not pushing the envelope with anything uh, specifically around that, but sending it every day because it still burns. Like when I send out one that has a typo that I don't mind, you know, like T-H-E, like typos like that when someone knows exactly what you meant. The thing that burns me is when I send one out that has a typo that like the phone autocorrected to a word that confuses the the whole thing. And I'm like, oh, That could have been such a good email and now nobody's going to even, they're just going to confuse everyone. That drives me crazy. And, and, but it's too late. I sent it. This is why I like email, not blogging. Cause blogging, I would just constantly be updating old posts, which is just a waste to me in my mind. It's just a waste of time. But the, the, that constant, like pressing, send, pressing, send, publish, 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 publish. That is I'm positive that that contributes at least to diminished resistance, if not, uh, if not specifically imposter syndrome, but definitely the resistance. I'm in, in the habit of being like, that's got to be good enough because it's midnight send, you know? <laughs> well, I think there's also this, this sense, at least for me, is that ahead of time, I always think I know which emails are really going to spark some comment. And I'm wrong a lot. <laughs> like I, I sent one and I'm like, oh, I, I was sitting back waiting for the response. Crickets. And then I sent another one that I thought, oh, yeah, probably everybody knows this. And I got a ton of responses and interaction on it. So I think that's the other thing is that you start to realize when you're doing something like that daily that you really don't know. You have a guess and, you know, and your guesses can get maybe more on the mark over time as you know your audience. My daily audience is still a relatively new phenomenon for me. But it's I think it it conditions you to expect people to 
challenge your thinking, to have a different point of view that's really interesting, that to present ideas or facts that you weren't aware of. It's a very humbling experience as well as a very energizing experience. I think it's both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with all of that 100%. And maybe that's part of what makes the imposter syndrome seem not as big a deal. Yeah, I think you're probably right. That that thing where the audience surprises you regularly. I think for me, I'm a like a software developer mindset in many ways where it's kind of like, I'm smart, I can figure this out. And and they and we as a group have a tendency to think that every answer is somewhere in our head if we could just think hard enough. <laughs> and that's just not true. I mean, sure everyone does it or like but, but software developers do it a lot. I mean, I've seen plenty of situations where it's just like a bunch of really smart people, highly educated, very high uh, level of mastery at their craft, will sit around and cluelessly discuss what someone who's nothing like them is going to think about like an interface or like a button. And, and a room full of 12 people will discuss it at length, you know, for two hours. Like, well... They'll probably think this when they see this screen. It's like, just ask them, you know, like you're, the, the answer you're looking for is not in your brain. And it's even worse when it comes to writing the copy on their website where it's like, the point is that you're not, uh, that sort of engagement with the unknown and that sort of, you're going to put something out into the world, whether it's an interface on a software application or a new copy on your website or a new description on your LinkedIn profile. And you're going to get feedback from it that may or may not probably won't map to the hypothesis, you know, what you think it, what reaction you think it's going to get. So if you just ship it, (laughs) just press publish, you're going to find out. And if you do that more and more and more and more, yeah, I think it, what it takes away is, is that feeling like you always need to be right because you're reminded on a daily basis that you're almost never right. That you're not. (laughs) (laughs) Your predictions are very bad. And just, you just get over it and you're like, all right, well, my predictions are bad. So I'm not going to worry about that. I'm just going to do the best I can for the people who I'm trying to help. And, you know, not just yourself. And like, this is the, this is the identity I want to project into the world. Like, don't worry about that as much as how am I going to help the people I want to help the best today and do it. And you'll learn along the way. And, you know, to bring it back to the theme, I think that imposter syndrome will decrease because you're not, you don't really have any preconceived notions or you don't have strong preconceived notions about, um, about what's going to happen. Your ego's not on the line. That, I mean, it, c- it keeps coming back to that because you didn't, you didn't make a, a prediction really. It's just like, Oh, let's try this. Well, it didn't work. Let's try that. I grew up as a consultant in, you know, in a big firm. I, I have lots of friends who are still consultants in big firms. And there's a thing that is not exactly taught. It's part of the culture, but it's that you better be right. You know, if somebody's paying $2,000 an hour for your time, you better be right. It's kind of like the way you describe software developers. Lots of smart people, lots of highly educated people, lots of highly experienced people. And so we all hated to be wrong. And what that can do is it can teach you not to face up to asking difficult questions, asking other people for input and ideas. I mean, it, it creates this, this false sense of being terrific. Yes, and that, it's exactly the same thing that I was trying to get across. Yes. Yeah, 
Yeah. And it, it doesn't do, as a profession, it, that doesn't do us any favors. Again, I learned it at the feet of some really impressive people who shared their knowledge with me. And I, I can still think of one guy who, I mean, he was probably the most brilliant person I've ever known. Brilliant in so many ways, I can't even tell you. And he would all the time say, well, what do you mean by that? So tell me more. What about that? Oh, gee, I've never heard of that. Tell me about that. And it's like, oh, yeah, I get it. And who wants to work with the know-it-all anyway? We'd love to work with people who ask us questions. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So just get rid of your ego. It's it's no problem. There you go. (laughs) God, that's so hard. (laughs) Yeah. It is. It just rears its head up. It just does. Mm -hmm. That is one of the things that really helps with viewing what you're doing as a mission because it automatically puts the focus on other people. So like the analogy I used the other day was um, if you're walking, you know, you're on the beach and someone's drowning, you're probably just going to jump in and save them. And you, and when you're doing that, you're not going to worry about like if your breaststroke is perfect and like the perfection of the swimming that you're doing, you're just going to like swim good enough to get the person out of the water and However you get it done, you get it done. And the person's not going to criticize you. Oh, geez, you're really, you're kind of not getting your head up enough. It's not like, you know, it's like, so if you imagine you're on a mission and there are people out there who you want to help, I really think that that is a component that decreases, it takes the ego out of it and therefore decreases the resistance, decreases the imposter syndrome. And it's like, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying I'm like the most genius person ever, you know, consultant to walk into, into a building, but I do believe that I can help you in your particular situation or in this particular way or this particular group of people. I believe I can help. It might not be the perfect breaststroke the way I do it, but I think we can move the needle. And that I think that helps, that probably would help people to like calm down a little bit. Well, yeah. And, and again, as you were saying that, the thing that really struck me is how much I love to talk to somebody like that. And have them tell me, here's my business, you know, do the research ahead of time. So I see it from my perspective, but then hear how they look at their business. So what are their, what are their struggles? What are their challenges? What are the things that are going really well? What are the things that they do well? And you start to think about that. There is no ego anymore because it's not about you. It's about them and solving the problem. I mean, at the end of that conversation, you have to decide whether you really can help them or whether you're not the right fit. But it's having that conversation is, I don't even know how to explain it. It's, it's energizing. It's life-affirming. It sounds, it sounds like I'm taking pleasure in someone else's pain, but I don't see it that way. It's the, it's the, it's the where they want to go with it and how to help them get there. So whether you work with them beyond that initial conversation or not, having that conversation is huge. That's a great point. I'm glad you brought up that sort of sales interview type of, of situation because I, that's a place where I, a lot of people report to me that they get imposter syndrome. They get really nervous before a sales call or a pitch and that's the way they think of it and i'm like well here's the thing you are you're going into it this mindset that you need to like that it's sort of either zero sum where you need to beat them and if or they're going to beat you and you know whoever wins wins and the other person loses or another way that people sometimes look at it is like they need to sort of puff up their resume and act like they're 
they say we when it's really just one person and they just kind of pretend not lie but kind of pretend and use hyperbole and like and then okay that you should get imposter syndrome there because you're being phony like if if you're getting so far into it that you're actually being phony yeah i can see why you'd be nervous because you're afraid you're going to be revealed as a phony but if you're actually come into this situation even a sales in situation like a sales interview and you you normally feel imposter syndrome you feel nervous you know, palm sweaty that whole thing just what this is the same as a speaking engagement same as shipping a workshop and doing all these things it's like just come into it not trying to convince anyone of anything just be like i'm just going to see if there's a good fit here i'm going to see if if through a conversation i end up confident that i could actually help this person in some way and if you don't then you tell I don't think I I don't think I'm the right fit for this, but maybe I know someone who who is or or whatever. You give them some other some other option, and if you if you just imagine that you don't have to always be closing and like it's not a life or death. Oh yeah, please. Situation. It's like a struggle between you and the the client. You're there to convince them that you're the best option. It's not about that at all. It's much and it's and it, it and I. Tell people that's what the why conversation is. And I hear back from people all the time like, whoa, that <laughs> was so different. I can't. They'll always say the same thing. It's like, ah, I didn't really do it right. I could improve it. But what a difference. I felt completely different. I felt completely confident. I didn't feel like I had to be mean or not myself or, you know, aggressive, not mean, but like aggressively selling. And it happens all the time. Again, what are we coming back to again? You're just not, you just take your ego out of it. You're like, I don't know if I'm the right fit. I don't know if you're the right fit for me, dear client. So let's figure it out. Have a conversation and just see what we think. Yeah, and your your focus is on, is on helping. You go back to this mission idea, this concept that you're on a mission. And when you look at it that way, it's you're on a mission to help them. So what happens at the end of the conversation? How do you help them? And there's a lot of ways to help besides signing them up as a client. Yep. Yeah. I mean, there's even a lot of ways to help underneath signing them up as a client. You come up with all sorts of novel ways to approach their situation if you think you can help them. But yeah, if you can't, another client will come along. Just It's like, don't, don't try and trick this person or convince this person or persuade this person into working with you. I mean, I get that you might need the money, but that's, it doesn't, it, it, that's still, it's not a good enough reason. You're still going to have all, like talk about imposter syndrome. Most of my clients are not feeling like they have to go in and sell, sell, sell. But what sometimes happens is in the course of that conversation, the quote unquote imposter syndrome rises when it comes time to decide what's next. And that's when they might shrink back a little bit, right? Whereas if you're really doing that meeting, mostly free of ego, we all have some, you know, there's always a little bit in there, but mostly free of ego, you just keep going. You just keep going. And if, especially if you know what you're good at, you know the type of clients that are right for you, you know how to do a certain kind of work, um, you know how to uh, solve this particular problem that they're presenting, um, you, know, you know how to do that, you just keep going. <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. Right? <laughs> yes. Cool. Okay. So have we covered everything? I feel like we've been touching on lots of different subjects that all tie back to the same thing, but I, I don't know if we've looked at anything <laughs> to, out. To, to daily emails and habits. 
<laughs> yeah, we covered a lot of territory. I think it all. I think it all connects, though. I think. It, I hope yeah. it does. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you and I were learning as we were talking, thinking through how this works. But I, I do think that that imposter syndrome could be very insidious if you let it. And I think Seth's advice to basically sidestep it is genius. And I will say I tried it myself and it worked perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same here. All right, folks. Well, that is it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye.